Super Talk Mississippi media production. And now it's Coast View with Ricky Matthews. Brought to you by J. Allen Toyota and AGJ Systems and Networks on Super Talk 103.1 FM. Welcome to Coast View, the show that every single day celebrates the amazing people who make coastal Mississippi and Mississippi for that matter, such a great place to live, work and, and play. Hey, today we're going to celebrate one of the one of the people in Mississippi who's doing some amazing work for our state. We're going to we'll come back to that in just a second, but I want to connect the dots on some things that I did in my career to the work that he's doing today. So bear with me for just a second. You know, there's a lot of debate Uh, these days about the role of media in society. And man, there's a lot of good reasons for that. Um, You know, the rise of digital media, that certainly has played its role. Things like uh, Facebook and using artificial intelligence to determine our news feeds, which is not a good thing, actually, because what it does is it looks at your likes and dislikes and it gives you more stuff like you, they think you want to see. And instead of the objective things you really need to see, which is not always the things you're interested in, but it helps you understand better about what's going on in society. Um, There's a lot of debate about credibility of of cable news programs. And the reality is that most surveys these days say that most people think of cable news as low credibility. And I I can understand why. Um, I could go on and on about this, but there's a big discussion about media and the world today. And it's all brought on, I think, a lot by the pressures of digital media and this this need to be first and the use of our artificial intelligence, like I mentioned just a few minutes ago. But but the First Amendment plays an incredibly important role in our democracy. I, don't, I think there are very few people who will be, uh, debate that, whether it's protecting our free, freedom of speech or whether it's protecting the freedom of the press. Uh, as it relates to the freedom of the press, journalists have an incredibly important role in our democracy. Um, They have a right to access public places so they can gather information and disseminate news. You know, one one of the things that I often said when I was publisher is that it's important for us to get the basic facts out there. And people need to have a source that they can trust. And oftentimes, that's that's difficult. It's difficult to find a, tr- a source you can trust. Once they have the basic facts, then they can make a decision about where they stand on the issues. But that's really the role. At the end of the day, journalists are out there to hold power accountable. And and I think that's that's that couldn't be there could not be a more important role than that uh, to speak truth to power. Um, as a former newspaper pub, paper publisher. I have an incredibly deep role about the role that journalism plays in helping to uh, helping to keep our democracy viable. I saw that so clearly in focus after Hurricane Katrina and was really honored when my team at the Sun-Herald was awarded a Pulitzer Prize gold medal for public service. So it's in my bones to understand the importance of of keeping and creating accountability as particularly with elected officials and those who serve the public. Uh, later in my career, I was really involved in some very significant digital efforts that were designed to kind of save journalism as we know it, because the advertising model that supported newspapers had literally been obliterated. Uh, we were, were really working hard to search for a new business model in the digital age that could give us the ability to keep as many reporters focused on that watchdog role as we possibly could. Um, and frankly, at most newspapers across America before the digital age, that's where most of the investigative journalists were. And uh, so as a result of that model being sort of obliterated, we don't see as many investigative journalists out there 
uh, certainly don't need don't have as many as we should have or need to have. Um, I can't underestimate the the role of local watchdog journalism. And uh, if you think about what has happened at the Sun Herald, certainly this has played out across the state. We don't have as many reporters focused on this as we as we used to have. Um, by the way, one of the reasons why I talk about the Knight Foundation a lot and my friend Alberto Ibarguen, the CEO of the Knight Foundation, is because they've been committed. He's committed his life, literally committed his life to finding an approach to journalism that works in a digital age so that we can have as many of the watchdog journalists as we possibly can. And I'm really inspired by their work. I'm inspired by Alberto's leadership and I'm inspired by the Knight Foundation's work. Um, but there's been a serious decline and we've got to, we've really got to stay focused on that. The, you know, this, I think because of this decline, uh, it creates in places like Mississippi, but this is, this is true across the country. It creates a, a focus on, among other things, the need to have a strong state auditor, a state auditor that committed to rooting out fraud and someone who is beyond reproach. Um, we must have a state uh, uh, auditor who's willing to speak truth to power, no matter what political party is involved. In my assessment of the current state auditor of the state of Mississippi, Shad White, I see just that kind of leader. It's, it's pretty impressive. Let me share with you a couple of things real quick. If you look back at, at some of the headlines of just the last, say, month and a half, what you'll see is this. Auditor's office arrests former bookkeeper, college dean, and a multi-million dollar workforce development fraud that involved over $2.3 million. Auditor's office arrests former volunteer fire chief for embezzlement involving an alleged $30,000. Uh, auditor demands repayment of, of misspent welfare money. This story has been well covered, but we're talking about money in excess of $77 million. Uh, auditor's office makes arrests for COVID uh, stimulus fraud involving over $50,000. Auditor's office makes two arrests in separate Yolabushu, uh, Yalabushu, uh, Yalabusha, I have a hard time saying that for some reason, county cases involving over $100,000. Listen, this, this goes on and on and on. There's one story that talks about the auditor's office get, has been given high marks for, by its peer, for its peer review. And, you know, really, I could go on and on about that. But it's, uh, again, that's just through like sort of the end of September. This office is burning the midnight oil and working their fingers to the bone to make sure, uh, you know, we have, you know, they're thinking about our grandkids and the future that we're going to leave our grandkids. And it's important to root out corrupt, corruption, root out fraud. So without any further ado, I want to introduce you to Shad White, the state auditor of Mississippi, and uh, say, you know, it's, it's a great day here on the coast and, I, and welcome to Coast View, Shad. Thank you, brother. I appreciate those kind words, and I appreciate you having me, too. It's great to see you. Look, when Jeff Pender, who, by the way, is a former colleague at the Sun-Herald, when he wrote about you in 2018, July 2018, when you were appointed by Governor Bryant, he said this. Um, Chad is a Harvard Law School grad and, and, uh, and former Truman Scholar at the University of Mississippi, where he received a bachelor's degree in economics. He studied as a Rhodes Scholar at the University of Oxford in England and has a forensic accounting certific certification from the University of North Carolina in Charlotte. You were uniquely positioned for this work. You were only 32 years old. That's, that's amazing to me, actually. Uh, but you really wanted this job, didn't you? 
Yeah, and, and I'll, I'll tell you the same thing that I told the governor when the state auditor's position became available. Uh, we had a conversation, quick conversation, the day that that news went public. And I told him, I said, you know, frankly, if this were really any other job in state government, I would not be calling you. So no disrespect to the, the state treasurer's job or the secretary of state's job, uh, but I simply did not feel I did not feel led to do uh, those jobs because I felt like my skill set fit with this particular thing. And, and I also felt like this job uh, is unique compared to a lot of others in state government because this gives you the ability to tackle a lot of different problems that are important to me all at once. So there's obviously what you were talking about earlier, which is embezzlement, fraud, white collar crime involving taxpayer funds. It, it bothers me to my bones to see that. I always think about my dad, who's an oil field pumper uh, in Jones County. You know, the guy works incredibly hard six days a week. My grandfather was the same exact way. He was an oil field pumper. Uh, they pay their taxes. They do what they're supposed to do. They follow the law. And then when you see someone out there who breaks their trust and steals money from them by stealing taxpayer funds, it's always bothered me a lot. And and that's why I was interested from, from early kind of on in my professional and academic career in white collar fraud and, and corruption. And so that's why I wanted this job in particular. And the other piece is that we get to do a lot to drive the policy conversation forward about how Mississippi can operate better. So to just piggyback off that, you mentioned the, the workforce training funds case. We investigated some embezzlement and misspending of workforce training funds up in North Mississippi. And, and yes, we will hold the individuals accountable who did that specific scheme, but also it gives me the opportunity to say, okay, well, now that we've seen those specific instances, what policy changes can we institute as a state to make sure that that money is being well spent everywhere? So that's the thing I love about the state auditor's office is that every single day when I go home, I feel like we have accomplished something important for taxpayers. Well, you're, you're a human sponge. You're a young guy who's wanting to learn as much as they can about how this state operates. And I can't think of a better uh, position to be in than state auditor to understand the inner workings of it, but the local level, regional, state level. What's interesting, I actually ended up reading, uh, just in preparation for, for this, I came across a story that was in governing.com, and it, it talked about you would think that the state auditor's role would be something that um, that you see a lot of current leaders who, you know, state auditors move on to do other positions, and that's certainly true. Um, you've seen U.S. senators, you've seen governors. In the case of Mississippi, you've seen, you know, two governors, Governor Bryant and Governor... Um, um, Mavis. Mavis, yep, Ray Mavis. But, you know, they've done really well. You see, you see, you see, but you don't see it as often as you see it. It's just, it's really quite in interesting to me. When we come back, uh, we're going to continue our conversation with Chad White, who is the state auditor for the state of Mississippi. And uh, I want to share with you some words that Governor Bryant shared when he appointed uh, Chad the, the auditor. Uh, and, uh, and, and we'll continue the conversation. We'll see you after this break. Coast View on Super Talk 103.1 is brought to you by J. Allen Toyota on I-10 Exit 38 Gulfport. See all the incredible inventory at allentoyota.com. And remember, when you think Toyota, think J. Allen Toyota. Talking to the people that help make the coast such a unique place to live. This is Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. 
Welcome back to Koshu. When Shad White was uh, appointed by uh, Governor Bryant to be the state auditor, he literally stood in the same spot that Governor Fordyce stood in when he appointed Governor Bryant to that position. And one of the things that he said is that he, he, he picked you because he really wanted someone who was going to be independent. He wanted someone who wasn't going to use that job as a stepping stone to other positions. But as I was saying just before we went to break, um, there, there are some great leaders across the United States, both in governorships and U.S. senator roles and others. You know, a couple of cases here in Mississippi with with uh, two governors that uh, that were state auditors and became governor of the state. It really is a great place to learn. Now, I know you didn't come into that position to 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 aspire to do something else. But at the end of the day, man, the, what you're learning about how the state operates is really empowering you to not only be a better state auditor, but it probably has opened your mind to other opportunities for the future, hasn't it? You know, I think that that fundamental point that you made, Ricky, is exactly right. So I don't know that there is a better office in state government from which to learn about state government and really local uh, government as well, because we we do a ton of work with local governments, making sure that they spend money correctly. And then if somebody steals money from a local government, we hold those folks accountable. Yes. You know, back when I was being appointed Governor Bryant, had some very blunt conversations with me about why he was picking me for this job. The the first was that he had done this job for 11 years himself. And when you do a job for over a decade, you tend to walk away thinking that that job is important. And he was not going to give the state auditor's position to somebody who he had not seen work personally and who he had not observed and could not vouch for their work ethic personally. And I had I'd worked with the lieutenant or with Governor Bryant when he was lieutenant governor, and so he'd seen that in me. He knew that I would uh, I'd burn the midnight oil, and I was ready to go to work on a Saturday, uh, and and all the things that that he expected. He was blunt about a second thing, which was he wanted me to stay in this job for a bit, and uh, he did not want me to jump into this job and then turn around two years later and run for Congress or something like that. And I told him I have no intention of doing that because uh, I think this job is important and I want to sink my teeth in here. Uh, now, in the long run, this is sort of the downside of the state auditor's office. From the perch of the state auditor's office, you end up seeing a lot of problems in government, just to be honest. You see a lot of misspending. You see money that could be, be spent a good bit better. My power as state auditor stops at showing the public how that money is spent and then stops at holding individuals accountable if they happen to break some sort of law when they're spending. But you can imagine there are a lot of situations, a lot of programs that we look at and you think, man, that program, now that I've gotten into the weeds on it, that program could do so much more. That program could be better run. So that's that's the kind of downside of being state auditor is that you see solutions, but you're, you're not in a position to get to uh, fix those solutions. So I, I carry that in the back of my mind too. And, and for the time being, really want to focus on this job and, and do it the right way. When I was early in my career, uh, I was working for the Sun-Herald, and we were owned by Nate Ritter, and I had the opportunity to work on what is called a re-engineering team. 26,000 employees, there were 12 people that were engaged in this re-engineering effort, and we helped to do a lot of important things. We d designed centralized Oracle databases for the financial systems of our company, and we, had, we did a lot of uh, work in the circulation and advertising side of the company, but it created efficiencies for our company. It made us, it made us a much more efficient company, but it helped us kind of 
you know, be more responsible too as stewards of the company because we were bringing in new technology and all of that. But I was like you in my early 30s during those times. And and it changed my life. I mean, it changed, you know, once, once you see the things that you see, you don't know exactly where that's going to take you. But, you know, you've had sort of a, a mind for public service. You you know, someone pointed out in something I read that you could have been a long time ago working up in New York where my son is, incidentally, uh, as, a, as a lawyer making a bunch of money. But you choose to be back here in Mississippi making your mark. It will be interesting to watch you, Shad, as you continue to sort of understand things. Because with, with your education, your thirst for knowledge, your willingness to make a difference, even when it makes people upset. And I know that as a former publisher. I mean, I after Katrina, <laughs> I took a few people on after Katrina. And, you know, went, and I didn't lose a bit of sleep at night, I might add. I mean, I felt once I understood that this, I believe this was the right direction to go in and I saw public officials not wanting to go in that direction, I didn't mind taking them on publicly because I felt like it was the right thing to do. But see, it's interesting, you know, I, I, I ultimately became a publisher and the rest of my career was could be defined as a change agent. I was involved in really significant, um, very significant strategic efforts, not only for Knight Ritter, but also when I left the company and went to work for Advanced Condé Nast. Um, you know, I see the same th kind of thing in you. You know, it's going to be interesting to watch you. I mean, people may say it'd be interesting to see if Shad becomes governor one day. And certainly people talk about that. But, you know, what are the steps between here and there? Where where are you going to choose to make your mark? And one of the things that's very interesting to me, and I'd like to know the answer to this one, is when you say when you say you see where things can be more efficient, and sometimes politics and efficiency don't go together, we know that very well. It can be very frustrating, and you want to go in there and fix it, but fixing it means new legislation where you got to get people aligned around legislation. It may mean some new policy that would take things in a different direction, not allow political influence to, to be such a big part of it. How often do you find yourself just super frustrated with not being able to fix the system? So to speak, every day. Uh, <laughs> and, yeah. and you know, I I'd back up one step to 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 hit on a theme that I think your career speaks to, and I, and I hope my career as state auditor will speak to, uh, is this idea that that change and sticking to principles is hard, but it is very important. Uh, so when you see a program, a government program that's broken or could be spending money a bit better. The state auditor can audit it, show the world how the money could be spent a bit better, but going through the process of changing that program is uh, is something that often requires people to stop doing what they're doing. Uh, some folks may lose their jobs. Some folks may uh, replace them. Uh, folks may come in and shake up the culture of an entity. Those are all things that are hard, right? It's easy to keep doing the same thing every day, day in, day out. We see that in our personal lives. Change is difficult. Uh, so for me, my thought when whenever we see a program uh, that is not functioning well or an office that's had money stolen from it, my first thought is, I don't know if I can fix this all today. I don't know if I can generate the kind of change that I want to today. And I could get frustrated over that. Uh, or I could realize that my role is to provide sunshine onto this issue, show the public what the story is, and then make that be the first step and do that right. 
and not get frustrated that we're not at step eight or 10. Uh, the other piece of that is sticking to principle is sometimes difficult for people in politics. Um, for me, I think about it this way. I'm the state auditor. I signed up for this job and you hired me to do this job to follow the law. The law is the law, period, regardless of who we're talking about. So it doesn't change for somebody who's famous. It doesn't change for somebody who's broke. It doesn't change for somebody who uh, doesn't change for somebody based on the color of their skin. The law is the law, period. I'm not in this job to go home at the end of every week and say, man, I did what I needed to do to survive the week politically, and uh, that's great, and I'll do the same thing next week. Because if you do that week after week, you'll look up after a few years, and you will have wasted your time in a position of importance, and you will have wasted a part of your life. You know, part of the purpose for me in being in this job is to do the hard things when I know that sometimes other people in politics are not willing to do the hard things. Uh, that way, at the end of my time as state auditor, I can look back and I can look my two daughters in the eye and say, I did this the right way. I did this in a way that you would be proud of. And I did this in a way that I thought would make Mississippi better so that I could hand you this state in a better in a better position than it was when when I got it. That's the goal of every generation is to is to do that, yeah. um, not to look back and say, you know what, I, I did what was necessary to get by politically and and I got elected to the next thing. Um, I want to do this job regardless of whether it advances you know my career or whether I have to stop at the end of being state auditor and go back to private practice and and make money. You know. Either way is fine with me. I just want to do this the right way right now. Shanna, often uh, when I would give speech, I had a great mentor in Roland Weeks, the former publisher of the Sun-Herald, and he said that a publisher wears three hats, has the fiduciary responsibilities of a business, you're a community leader, and to the extent that you're a community leader, a really intense community leader, you, you can understand the connection between the journalism and the community and can make sure that, particularly editorially, that you're reflecting the needs of the community. And then third, you're, you're a publisher. And those hats can often be in conflict with one another. And, you know, I've gotten these calls. I'm sure you have gotten these calls that you're going down a, a particular path journalistically. And it was making a lot of people very, very uncomfortable. And, you know, whether it might be an advertiser, some politico, whatever the situation might be, I get the call. And the, and the purpose of the call is to try to either intimidate me to stop or to really beg me to stop whatever that exploration was. And my job, the way I saw my job as publisher was to take those hits so that my team could, 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 could go forward unencumbered, follow that and do what was best, and that is to continue to shed the light. That's why I believe that the role of the auditor's office is not unlike a journalist in that respect. You know, these ideals, these principles that you talk about. When we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Shad White and get his reaction to what I just said. We'll see you after this break. Listen live or on demand and watch episodes of Coast View on your laptop, desktop, or on your phone or tablet by going to supertalkmsgulfcoast.com. And now, it's Coast View with Ricky Matthews. Brought to you by J. Allen Toyota and AGJ Systems and Networks on Super Talk 103.1 FM. Welcome back to Coast View. We have Shad White, who's the state auditor for Mississippi. Shad, when you took office, this is what you said. You said, I'm supposed to safeguard your money. I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that none of it is stolen and none of it gets embezzled and none of it gets wasted. I promise you that. You know, when you go back to what I was saying a few minutes ago, 
when you're the state auditor or the publisher of a newspaper or CEO of a company or whatever, you name it, if you go into that job wanting to maintain your integrity, in other words, every just about everything in life is negotiable, but your integrity, your integrity is not negotiable. When you go in and you say, this is what we're going to do, we're going to safeguard people's money. And, and we're not, I mean, those who steal or embezzle or waste, we're going to make sure that, that we hold them accountable and we shine the sun on it. But that means you're going to get a call or two along the way. And um, as a young guy, what prepared you for that? How did, because those calls can be tough, man. I know what they look like. I've, as a publisher for nearly 16 years, uh, I know what that looks like. Talk to me about where that comes from, your ability to sort of stomach that. It's funny that you framed it in this way because I actually was asked by a college student a couple of days ago, what makes a good leader? And, and I told that person, look, for a lot of these positions, whether it's a newspaper publisher or a state auditor, a lot of smart people could learn the technical skills that you need to do those jobs. A lot of smart people could step into my role and after about a year, understand what they need to about the law and about uh, forensic accounting and whatever else to understand the technical aspects of this job well. Probably the same for a newspaper publisher, but um, the thing that you can't teach that really good leaders have are, are traits like courage and a willingness to stick to principle despite the fact that somebody who's important is giving you a phone call telling you to back down. Those kinds of, those kinds of moments are important because that's what separates somebody who is going to do the right thing and do a good job in their role from the people who are just there to get along. Uh, so you can imagine in plenty of cases that I've had, folks will call and say, why are you doing this this way? Uh, you know, why couldn't we have handled this quietly? All that sort of stuff. And my answer to them repeatedly is, you aren't my boss. My boss are the hundreds of thousands of Mississippians who elected me to do this job. It's the people who pay taxes in this state every day. And so if I ever stop thinking about them and start thinking about that person who picked up the phone and called me, I've already begun on the road to making mistakes. I've got to think about the people who are not ever going to get the chance to give me a ring on the phone, but who are expecting me every single day to come into the office and to work to protect their money. It's, uh, you know, the the people who worked with my mom, she's a 35 year public school teacher. It's, it's the folks like my dad who go to work and haul hoses and wear blue collar every single day. Those are the folks that you have to think about, not the person who calls you and says, hey, you need to back off on this thing because that person's important. You're gonna do yourself a lot of harm when you, uh, when you go after somebody like that. That's not the person you listen to. It's tough. I had uh, had people tell me before, if you don't stop, I'm gonna pull a million dollars worth of advertising. Okay. Now for you, it might be, it might be campaign contributions. It might be, it might be a lot of things. It might be things you don't even know about. One, one of the things somebody asked me one day said, okay, so when you take those strong positions and someone reacts the way they do, what's the thing you notice the most? I said, gosh, that's a great question. I think the thing I noticed the most is how quiet it got. <laughs> Do you know what I mean by that? You know, yeah. you, you wouldn't be involved in certain conversations because people are starting to get a little leery about you. They're not sure if they can trust you or not. And I, I've seen that just because you didn't do what they wanted you to do. It got kind of quiet. 
you know, it really does affect your political relationships. That is for sure. And you have to be willing to stomach that. And you don't know what the ramifications of that are going to be. You don't know what they're saying about you. They don't. And, you know, in politics is so unkind because, you know, you say it to one person, then they say it to somebody else. And by the time it gets to the hundred person, it was never the original story. It wasn't the original story to begin with. Mm-hmm. But you you have felt those things and you still stand tall. And there's there's more to it than just a profile and courage. There's there's something you're, it's 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 bred into you. It's um it's some some enduring values that are core values that were passed to you by your parents. Talk a little bit more about what's driving you. I I feel like there's a story uh, of something that happened to me in law school that really speaks to this. So uh, I feel very lucky that for whatever reason, I went through a series of experiences that thickened my skin really early in life so that when I got into this job, lo and behold, uh, I was prepared to tolerate those kinds of conversations, ignore the people who are yammering in the background all the things that you need to do to be an effective state auditor. Um, so when I was in law school, this is very early on, I went to law school at, at Harvard Law. It's a ton of people who disagree with me there politically, as you can imagine. So really early on in law school, there's a group of us, my friends and I got invited to go over to this guy's house, his apartment to uh, watch the Yankees game. Uh, and so we go over, he's a big Yankees fan. We go over to his apartment. We're all sitting there in the room. And for whatever reason, the host, The guy who is there, who is very, very left of center, way out on the left, just continuously talked the entire baseball game about how much he hated the United States of America. I mean, I just vividly remember everything he said, just constant, one thing after the other. And bear in mind, this guy is at Harvard Law School, you know, arguably uh, the premier institution for learning, higher learning in the entire world. He's gotten there and this country gave it to him, uh, but he's complaining about the country at the same time. So I kept my mouth shut for a lot of the party and he just kept going and kept going and kept going. And ultimately, you know, a lot of people in the room started agreeing with him. And finally, at some stage, uh, I just said, Look, man, I I totally agree with you. I think we would all be better off in North Korea or Iran right now. I hear things are going really well over there. And as you can imagine, uh, that wasn't the most popular thing to say in the room uh, at the moment. I never got invited back for another baseball game. And and I walked out of there thinking, you know what? Um, I don't know if I said it the right way. I don't know if that was the right move. But here's one thing I do know. I do not care what those people say about me now that I've left the room uh, because they are not going to have a substantial impact on my life. And two, I stood up for an idea that I believed in in a moment when it was very cool to say the opposite thing. Uh, And so that was one little kernel, one little moment in life. And now I look back at that, it seems kind of trivial now, but it's actually a part of a lesson that I had learned along the way. You're going to have to say things that are unpopular sometimes. You're going to have to do things that are unpopular sometimes. You know those folks who are affected by what you're doing are going to be talking about you afterwards. They may say some things that are not nice. Somebody may even misconstrue the statement I made or mislead people about how harsh I was in tone, whatever it may be. And you have to not worry about it if you're state auditor. So I, I feel lucky that all these little things like that happened to me along the way before I got here so that I could do this job a bit better. What, what I've learned, though, 
and and I've certainly experienced all this because I've been involved in major change efforts that it's hard to be a leader of a company or a political leader in this day of social media and the digital age. Opposition research looks different than it did a bunch of years ago. It's it's more cruel, it's more false. <laughs> it's uh and and you know what I people say, well how do you stomach it? You know, I so much so much meanness directed at me. I was I was the messenger, I was the guy leading the efforts and I understood that I had to be willing to have thick skin and take take the hits. I, at the end of the day, I believed what I was doing was the right thing to do. I really did, and uh, I know that people's lives were impacted, and I get that. But the long, the long uh, of it all was that we wouldn't even have a company to save if we continued down the current path. So you got to make tough decisions. But it is a cruel world we're living in today, Shad, yep. as it relates to being in politics in the digital age, particularly in the social media age. How do you? I guess I guess it's just that conviction that you have that enables you to say I'm doing what I believe to be the right thing, and people are going to do whatever they're going to do, and I just can't let that detour me from doing what I believe is the right thing to do. Is that kind of where you are? That's it, and I, I think you you just have to ramp up that instinct in the era of social media. So I'll just tell you, you haven't lived until you've had literally a million people come after you with a pitchfork, which is what happened to me last week. And and some of your listeners probably know uh, what I'm talking about. But, you know, until you've had a million people on Facebook come after you, you don't know what real pressure feels like. But also, in that moment, you have to understand that when you are being pressured by that many people who don't know what they're talking about for the most part, when you're being pressured, that is a signal sometimes that you are doing the right thing because yeah. it's the hard thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what what guardrails do I use to just kind of weather all that storm? We'll come back to guardrail real quick. Is that around the Brett Favre issue? Yep, correct. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, the, so, the, so, the, so the guardrails. So very basic things that we decided to do pretty early in in my public life after I got to be state auditor. Uh, we decided as a family that, that other family members, not me, other family members would do their best to avoid reading social media commentary about me. That was a very important thing. Two is I don't read a lot of it. I end up reading some of it because some direct messages come to me. Uh, and for those things that are just completely out of bounds, you just, you just push it out of your brain and decide that you're going to blaze forward. Those are the kinds of very simple rules you set for yourself that, that allow you to survive in a social media environment. It's hard. It's hard. And it's hard. You want to, when you see people you respect reacting to something that's not positive, that's false, it's hard. It's, it makes it, I mean, you're human. <laughs> you, you've got feelings like everybody else and so do your family. Uh, I know that so well. But anyway, we're going to continue our conversation with Shad White when we come back from break. Talking to the people that help make the coast such a unique place to live. This is Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back to Coast View. Listen, uh, I said at the beginning of the show that we were going to celebrate a state official who I believe is doing a good job. And, you know, I knew a little bit about Chad White. One of the great opportunities I get in doing Coast View is I get a chance to focus on one person 
for 24 hours. But in Shad's case, I've been watching him. I've been watching him carefully. And what's cool to have that, that conversation we just had that said that the way you get through these difficult times, I know this is true of Governor Bryant. I know this is true of Governor Mavis that you got to believe what you're doing you have to have this you have to have the strength of conviction you got to have a basis and foundation for integrity as you pointed out a few minutes ago you got to have some courage all those things come together to make you a good state auditor and you got to really want to care about our grandkids for god's sake you got to want to leave something that's better than than what you what you uh, took the reins to when you did this a little over 3 years ago hey listen let's shift gears along the way you decided to become uh, a national guardsman. So, talk to me about that decision and what you do these days. Sure. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's a family tradition in my family. Military service is so. Both of my grandfathers served. My maternal grandfather uh, served in World War II, fought in North Africa, and was uh, was injured when a German explosion shot shrapnel into his neck. I can still remember as a little boy rubbing the scar on the back of his neck uh, where that shrapnel went in. That ended his war, so he got a Purple Heart and came home after that. My paternal grandfather was a little bit too young to be in World War II, uh, so he served in Europe during the very early days of the Cold War. So point being, it, it, was, um, uh, it was a family tradition for us. I was really in part raised by my paternal grandfather because my dad worked with him, so I was, I was in their hair all the time. I spent every weekend over at his house, and uh, my cousin and I were both that way. My cousin went on to become a Marine pilot, and, and I always wanted to serve in the military as well. So um, life sort of worked out in a way for me where the National Guard made the most sense, and, and I'm now a JAG officer in the National Guard. I get to take off my auditor hat uh, and put on my lawyer hat again and, and go uh, serve my country in that way. It's a, it's a really um, fulfilling way to give back. Uh, it connects to my work as state auditor because to me, both of these jobs are about service. They're both about giving of yourself to a broader community. In this case, in the case of the National Guard, um, uh, giving back to your country. It's not always easy. So there are plenty of men and women who have dedicated far more time than I have. They've gone on dozens of deployments and all this sort of stuff. Uh, but every single person who serves in the military, whether it's National Guard reserves or active duty, uh, your listeners out there either know or they need to understand that every single person gives up a lot of time with their family to do something uh, that they care about. And and for me, that's what it's about. It's, um, it's looking back and saying, okay, yes, I'm gonna give up some time with my two daughters to make this country safer and better for them. And, and that's why I like putting on the uniform and, and going to drill and going to trainings and doing the things that we have to do, because I know that, that I'm, I'm a very small cog in the machine of the American military, but I'm doing something that matters a lot to me. Well, uh, God bless you and your military service for sure. Um, okay, so my, if my math right, you're 35 now? Uh, 36. Had to think about that. 36 now. Okay. So you're 36 now. You were 32 when you were appointed. You were you ran unopposed, and uh, you know you've got your another four years. Ray Mavis was 35 when he was elected state auditor. Mike Moore was 35 when he was elected attorney general. Dick Malpas was 34 when he was elected secretary of state in 1983. Um, do you, so I, I wanted to remind myself about these young guys that, that came into these state offices. All those that I just mentioned were all terrific leaders in their own right. Um, do you feel as an, an added burden, burden being a young guy uh, in that role? Uh, talk to me about that. I think I did the first two years I was in this role uh, for a couple of different reasons. One, 
Uh, I'm young, but I look young. Uh, so that that's an added challenge when you're going out and trying to explain to people what you're doing in your job and, and why you're doing it well. So I, I knew that I wanted to I wanted to do this job um, really well, and I knew that I needed to do it better than anybody else could do it in order to in order to compensate for the fact that there'd be a lot of people who would just look at me and say i don't know if that young man knows what's going on uh so i needed to prove to everybody that i knew what was going on that i could do this job well the other reason that i felt some of that pressure is i walked in this office the state auditor's office and and the deputy state auditor who's the number two person under me he's been in the state auditor's office almost as long as i've been alive uh and so i wanted to prove to him that yeah on paper I'm the guy that makes the final decisions, but I'm not coming in here to ignore your opinion. I'm coming in here and going to rely on your institutional knowledge and your your sense of how this place can operate, the mistakes that have been made in the past, the successes that we've had in the past, how to leverage all that information to do this the right way. And I'm going to come in both with a spirit of, of leadership and ownership over what we're doing here, but also with a spirit of humility saying, I can learn a lot from you. You've been here 30 years, longer as long as I've been alive. Let me ask you questions about things we could be doing better. And and those are the kinds of those are the kinds of um, attitudes that I want to bring to it to dissolve that pressure about around being a, a young man in an important role. Well, you said that well, and you I think you've done a good job of establishing yourself. only need to go look at the uh, headlines that you and your team are, are developing. In fact, speaking of your team, we're out of time today, but the next time we come together, I want to talk about the inner workings of the, uh, the, the various divisions of the auditor's office and the work that you're doing, what it takes to pull this off. I mean, some really, really dedicated public servants that work with you in, in their work. Over, I think some 150 people or more, maybe less these days because of the pandemic. Pandemic. But we'll come back to that in a, in a month or so and have that conversation. It's been a pleasure, Chad, to, to uh, have the opportunity to spend some time with you this morning. It's been an honor. Thank you, brother. You bet. This has been Chad White, the state auditor for the state of Mississippi. Have a great day and we'll see you tomorrow. Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1 on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Super Talk MS Coast 103.1. A Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.